In today's episode, we're going to be talking about game day experience, atmosphere for fans in venues, and change management. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders in customer experience and employee experience, and we try to figure out what are the trends that they're paying attention to? What are the experiments that they're running? What are the insights that have driven them to success throughout their career? Then we take all those principles and we apply them to the world of sports and entertainment, live events, and hospitality. Now, today we are talking about game day experience and change management with Guido D'Elia, who has just created, in my mind, what is the best environment in college football, at least the foundation for it. And that is at Penn State. So Guido's claim to fame in the college athletics world is that he is the originator and creator of the whiteout, which again, for me, is an experience unlike any other. I've been to almost all the big Power 5 stadiums, so many pro venues, and there is nothing quite like a night game when Penn State is doing their whiteout. Now, uh, we're going to talk all about how that came to fruition here with Guido, but a little quick background on Guido. Um, So he, before college athletics, really had built and created uh, over a 50-person production and strategy firm. Um, So he had a really big background in marketing and strategy uh, and kind of content, if you will, and how to really engage customers' emotions prior to coming into athletics. Um, now, when we think about the episode, we're going to talk about the first probably 20 or 20 minutes or so about the whiteout, lessons from that. Then we're going to get into larger thoughts on college athletics, change management, um, and really engaging your customers. Um, today, uh, Guido consults with Rutgers, which he'll talk about here uh, in this episode as well, uh, working on game day experience and how to deeper engage fans. So uh, if you are in sports, super relevant episode for you. If you're not in sports, still a ton of change management lessons told through sports stories. Um, So without further ado, let's jump into this episode with Guido. Katie, what is happening? We've got uh, another great guest on the show with us. Guido, welcome to the show. Nice to be here. Um, Well, let's jump into it. Um, Katie, I know you have your own story for how you met Guido. Why don't you start and then I'll go give my story and that'll take us into this thing. Yeah. So Guido and I met, I was on the sidelines working with Penn State Sports Properties and handling all of our sponsor activations and got to see the great show squad in action. So this was, um, I was at Penn State from 2008 to 2011 football season. So this was right on the heels of the whiteout really coming to fruition, got to really see it from, you know, its infancy and to where it is today. So proud to have you on the show, Guido. Thank you very much. I remember those days. There's a lot of good people did an awful lot of good work besides me. We had a good team at that point. We (laughs) really did. did. Yep. I love it. And then my story for meeting Guido was uh, Mike Malay, my dad, uh, he and I, who Guido just described previously as an, 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 how did you say, a distinguished gentleman? I don't know that that's what I would call my dad. He was a a distinguished guy, and I was certainly going to mess up. 
<laughs> well, we were we were down at Texas with Drew Martin, who I think was episode number two of this show. Um, and one of the things that I thought was so cool, Guido, that you did in those sessions was I'll never forget this. You described what you were doing as you said, hey, so many of these schools and teams have this kind of set list of run of show that they run in games. Yeah. At, at the two-minute mark, we're going to run this sponsorship. And at the three-minute mark, we're going to do this. And you said to me that it needs to be run like an offensive coordinator. You need to be able to understand the emotions of the fans that are happening. And you need to adjust your play and the, the things that you run based on what those emotions are in the stadium at that time. And I think that's a great analogy for a lot of the other things that you do. And as things that we do from a customer experience standpoint. So um, any, any thoughts or reflections on that? And then we'll get into what you do. Yeah, I, 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 that's the biggest obstacle for most people when they're attacking their game day. Generally, people are going off of a script and they decide, as you're, as you're indicating, what we're going to run at break number one, that the dance team's going to dance in break number four, and the, that it's a live game. I don't know how you script on Tuesday what you should do on Saturday if you're really doing your job. Because if you're doing your job, you're listening to the crowd, and they'll tell you what they want. They'll tell you what they need. They'll tell you the music to play if you pay attention and note the ones they react to and the ones they don't. It can't be what you decide among yourselves. This is about them for them. So it's a real different orientation for most places. Understand that the original group that ran a game day in a stadium was an extension of the operations department. So it's like, well, we, we sell tickets, we park cars, and let's run the game day. So Bob here knows music. He'll do with the music. And so-and-so can operate the graphic machine because they're technically oriented. They'll do it. At, so everybody did what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it, if they wanted to do it. And then it, it, it needed to be directed and directed for the moment. Down, distance, yardage, temperature. How do you feel about it? Where are our fans? What is the score? What's on the table? And so... It, that's a whole different orientation to be customer centric in that moment, not what I want to do. That's the epitome of it. A hundred percent. I'm excited because again, I think we're, we're going to go deep on like how you've set up game day and how you can change the way that you offer things and the experience you provide by reading your fans. I think that's really what today's episode is going to be all about. Um, but before we get into that, Guido, tell us what you're working on now. What are some of the things that you're doing and how do you stay busy these days? Yeah, I'm advising Rutgers uh, football. And so working on every free game day is APs, but uh, developing a fan base is probably the primary piece. And a little bit on brand and other elements uh, to get people a media savvy. So uh, I enjoy that because it's a singular focus. I have one team to root for. I really like the people there. I, I, I the head coach is someone that I go back from way back from uh, Penn State days. I really respect what he does and how he runs a program. So that, that that's good for me. And it's uh, less than a three-hour drive from my ocean house. So that, that all works. those ingredients, <laughs> it works. Uh, 
just a somewhat technical question. When you come, and I think this is it's important for the type of thinking that I believe this requires. Is what levels are you working at in the organization? Like, who are your main day to day point of contacts? Yeah. I in in that case, uh, most coaching situations is the hierarchy. That's where they built it. Ever since Urban Meyer, it's like it's top down. So my entry point in my uh, interaction is with the chief of staff at football. He does, he controls all marketing fan base situation and everything that has to happen. So I go in the door with him and then uh, we have a great guy by the name of uh, PJ Mullen. You probably know. Oh yeah. Very uh, well. Katie. Yeah. So PJ Mullen is running the game day and on the, on the field with it or on the spot with the tactical. So, so we got a great team. I really enjoy it. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I think PJ from our time working with Penn state, it was almost like your, your protege there from now. I think this is a good transition point to getting into like what you are really known for, which is your time that you spent at Penn state where you created in what I believe is the best college game day experience that you can have is Thanks. the whiteout at Penn state. Um, so for listeners that might be unfamiliar with kind of Penn state whiteout, Talk us through the background. What is it? How did it come to fruition? Yeah. Well, it was, it was, uh, it was really in defense, David. It was, uh, we had, when, when I was there and uh, running the brand, we had the quietest hundred thousand, known as the quietest hundred thousand fans in America. And they were just used to winning with Joe and remember like an off the crowd, they'd applaud and something happened and, you know, they just expected to win and it'd sit around and wait for it to happen. Well, we hit the first ever downturn, which was about to happen in like dark years for three or four years. And it was getting worse and worse and quieter and quieter. And it was a recruiting disadvantage because so we'd bring recruits in there for that to see a game. And it was not like what they saw at other places. So um, I moaned them out that they said, shut up and fix it. And so I inherited it as far of my gig. And uh, we really needed to do something. And uh, uh, we were on the field looking at the student section in another quiet game. And I said to a colleague, uh, uh, Warren Crispell, you probably know. One of my former bosses. There you go. I said, I said, Elsie, how do we get the student? They're not having any fun at all. They're just not getting it. They're not. Realized, and there were there were twenty thousand students in there, and they were just not enjoying themselves. You know, we throw a beach ball up there; they'd enjoy it, but they weren't into the game. They didn't mm. get it. So I said, "What?" The only thing I could think about, and I came back the next day. I said, "What if we, what if we made them more like an army and dressed them alike? And if you're dressed alike, you might feel a little bit more comfortable with being outlandish." Like, it's like getting on the dance floor. If it's cool, you're going to get out there maybe if you're not a real dancer. Mm -hmm. And if you if it's if it's half empty. So uh, that was it. And getting them in white, we thought we'd start with the student section. We realized we had to do it the first time out or everyone would say, ah, I'm not doing it. It's not, it nobody does that. You know? So and then we had to market it and market it without internet, without texting with 
How hand-to-hand combat. So so I, I know we don't want to go too deep into your secret sauce, but maybe I, I gotta imagine the way y'all marketed it back then is not the way you would do it today based on all those no. things. So just Versus for story's sake, how did you get that message across to twenty thousand students without texting, without email, without yeah. social media? We had a small army of people like Katie and who were really dedicated or want to get this done, body and saw it. And then we just did everything we could think of. We had two weeks of the next game, next home game, and we started the student whiteout. And all of a sudden, people walked into the dining halls with the face painted white. And everyone looked on the second one. He and them like whiteout Purdue. That was our next name, Purdue. Whiteout Purdue. And they go like, what? And then we just built it and built it and built it. We had people the week of uh, megaphones on campus yelling at people to wear white on class changes. We had golf carts riding around campus with an empty line holding the sign, wear white, all students wear white. We convinced everybody on the storefronts in, in State College, which are on the perimeter of the campus, to, to put all nothing but white in their store windows. We told them, believe me, it's going to pay off. We're going to come in there. They're going to need white on Friday. And they did it. They listened. They believed. And so we did every single thing we could think of. We had a, a whiteout the night before, and Coach got up there, and the announcers were white. And everywhere, there was white everywhere you looked. And, and so it was hand-to-hand combat, and we still weren't sure. We, is, is it true we that you even had them, like, standing outside the dorm Saturday morning, like, setting them back into their dorms to go change if they came yeah, out we and had, out and white? We, we had a bullhorn on the on the two main streets that would come from the student dorms, and they would go, Hey, you! Get back in! Take that green off! Get white! <laughs> so we also it. went through, you couldn't do it today, but we went through dorms and knocked on doors and waking people up and reminding them to wear white. Uh, but our people really weren't, not they just passed flyers they went into the dining halls and sat at the tables and said here's what we want to do here's the reason why it's going to be great fun wear your white and they sold it hand-to-hand combat there there are so many lessons within that one story that we could unpack um i, I mean <laughs> just my my couple quick highlights and katie i'm curious your takeaways from it hearing it for the you know probably the hundredth time um I think for me, one of the takeaways that I had there is that so often in ch- any kind of change management initiative today, it feels like there's a, it, it's the opposite. Y'all did, you just said, what I heard you say was you did everything you possibly could and you still weren't sure it was going to be enough. Today, no, I, I feel, today, I feel like so often people send out one email and say, well, we told them. Well, well, we told them. Yeah. yeah. Why don't they get I, it? It's, it's like the mentality's totally changed. Yeah. And and I don't, yeah, I don't know that's what that's a good about. Point. That's a good point. A lot of people think, well, I told them. Well, did you follow up? How many times did you follow up? Did you ask them to explain to you what it was? It's no different than going for lunch and going to pick it up. Did you check the bag? If right, you don't check right. the bag, you don't know what you have. But don't right. come running back here and say they, put, they didn't give us the right order. No, you got the wrong order. <laughs> yeah. And I... Yeah, it's just, I think there are just so many things in that alone. I think one of the other parts is you said that they sat down and explained the vision. And I think a lot of times as organizations, when we're interacting with change with our employees or with our customers, we tell them what is coming, but we don't tell them why, and we don't tell them how it's going to benefit them. And that is what stood out to me in what your example was. Y'all sat down with the students and said, it's going to be fun. It's in your best interest to wear white. We're going to have impact on the game. And that's why they did it. Yes. 
And they did have, they had impact on the game. So at that point, that was coach Joe Tiller of Purdue, who was the first of war to bring to the Big Ten, this, uh, the no huddle and the tons of passing. And they could not, and it was built on audibling at the line. And we beat them. And post game, they said we could not hear ourselves think. We audibling was over in the <laughs> middle of the first quarter, and the student just went crazy. What if they saw an effect, and they saw that the quarterback couldn't hear, and they were like, they were like, ah, now I see. And and they just, you know, they were like, yes, I love it, Katie. Any other takeaways from that? And then we'll, we're, I want to keep going because I know this is yeah, just yeah, the first yeah. chapter I, in that story. You know, other thing, you have to, the other part is, is is it's important that you capitalize on the identity that they discovered, right? So we put out a billboard the next day, a mobile billboard on the back of the truck. Thank you, students. He and coach talked about it and players talked about it on the Tuesday thing. You have, it has to be, you know, either they're a part of it or they're not. So either, you know, you have to integrate it. But I, I mean, again, I love that too of like, Hey, thanks for coming on this journey with us. Thanks for jumping on this small bet with us. We appreciate it. And let's continue to build on it. Yeah, That yes. falls short in change yes. initiatives all the time too. It's like, Oh, yes. well, yeah, they did their job. We, they did what yes. they told them to. Yes, and a year later, Ohio State rolls into town. We're suddenly back on track and undefeated. They, of course, are undefeated as well. We come in, and at halftime, they pulled. It was game day. There was mad, madness. We finally arrived. We're over the hump. Oh, my God. And so we pull student white out. And Herb Street at halftime on the set of ESPN at halftime said, these students, they're the best in the country. Yes, yes, Herbie. <laughs> and we will, that we was will... next year's schedule card. That was it the was the greatest show in college football. He gave us yeah. the tagline for years. <laughs> Thank you, sir. So it was uh yeah, Sports Illustrated called it the best show in college football. And it was wild. And from that point on, uh ADs, the marketing managers started to see like, whoa, a crowd can have that much impact. Mm. They they did they couldn't think. I mean, the linebackers told me they had to pinch their helmet in the student end because it was vibrating on their head. I mean, I've heard that they have the defense is literally grabbing their, they're literally grabbing the face mask to lean in and yell in because they can't hear. Yeah, That's the only way they can communicate with each other. They have to grab each other's face mask and scream in at each other. Yeah. Guido, tell us a little bit about how y'all went from students to the entire stadium and what, well, what was that process like yeah, here's feel, the key that people, people need to understand this one so uh so th- that was oh five was, was the student whiteout in the, when we beat uh ohio state and then oh six comes up and everybody wants to do a full stadium whiteout everybody the marketing department the, the ticketing people just pounding the table and i said no I was concerned still getting 20,000 people to do one thing, rabid students. That's a different thing than getting alumni and a general fan base, another 80,000 to do the right thing. I felt we need to have the right game with the right weather. And there was Mm. nothing on our schedule at 06. They had both. So I said, let's wait. 
and look who's coming in 07 on the second week in September will be Notre Dame. So it's a much, much better. I lineup. held them off. I held them off and believe me, took every ounce of political pressure or leverage that I had because it seemed like a no brainer to everybody, but we needed the year to print the tickets in white for that particular game with no one to miss it. And the preceding game, you couldn't leave the stadium or drive away the same without people cowbelling you, telling you to wear white next week, wear white next week, everybody. And then, you know, Joe did a big, the coach did a big thing with a pep rally and blew it out of proportion. And it was, it was it, but still we didn't know. We had no idea. We had people with binoculars up on the, on the rooftop. And I said, just don't tell me if it's bad. It worked so much, even Notre Dame got the message. They wore white. <laughs> and they, and they had a, a, a hotshot quarterback, too, which made it all the better. Like, the, the supposedly the Heisman Trophy yeah, four-time winner. Uh, and we just, we, we, we beat them bad. Well, I, th- I think there's another lesson in that of, again, too often in change. Ma- uh, this is one big change management initiative, right? And yes. uh, centered around the customers. Um, and I think one other big mistake that you guys did the right way, but a lot of people screw up in a change initiative is moving too fast, right? Um, sometimes, sometimes people can move too slow as well. There is that like right balance in how you do it, where y'all got a small win in having the students and there's some big yeah. wins that came out of that, but you took a small bet and you said, let's really do this part well before Correct. we move on to all these other Correct. things. And I think a lot of times leaders in their zeal for success or their zeal for impact want to do everything right away. And it's like relationships have to be built. Tests have to be run. People have to see that there's going to be impact and what's in it for me before I get in. And that's, I love that you pump the brakes and that, I'd be curious to see where the program or the initiative is without you pumping the brakes on them on that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we could have pulled it off. I don't know. But this thing that I was going for was I I really want our fans, all our fans, to adopt this as their identity, right? So if they did it once and we did it and we had a good result that game, which we did, then they're in white anytime you ask. It just with minor, minor promotion. Then they started to wear it on the road unasked. They would show up in white as their identity. And so it, it, it is theirs. And now the whiteout is theirs. It's, it's not me. It's not anybody. It is our fans. That's them. They come in. They know what to do. They know what song to sing, when to sing it. They're like a choreographed stage show that just continues. I think one of my favorite things about it is it's kind of an antithesis to the typical argument. Well, we tried it and it didn't work. I mean, there's a 50% win record when you have a whiteout game, especially when you make it the largest game. But it is something that is so important. It's so ingrained in that fan base that it's still important to them. It still works. Like, even if you don't get the, you know, the win on the field, it still works. And you're still convincing people to buy into something. Yes. And, and the other thing uh, that occurred is we weren't just rallying that crowd with what they were wearing. We we kind of took an approach to our music where each week we evaluated what we did. 
we trimmed and cut pieces. We we listened to what they reacted to and tried to, you know, we had color-coded green, yellow, orange, green anytime you want it. This one moves them. You know, the, it you know, yellow maybe in certain situations. And we would listen and, and do it and and we listened to other things and found we introduced the uh, Seventh Nation Army before anybody had it. Our fan was playing it before anybody had it. People were trying to shazam it and there was no shazam it because it was our <laughs> we Greg Drain made up the music. <laughs> I love it. So love it, it. in Zombie, we started Zombie on that first uh, Ohio State win. And they were pogoing, going crazy. I can't tell you how many people called us and asked for our play sheets. Can we see your music sheets? Can we see? It would, it would do you no good. You have to know when. It'd be like, it'd be like getting a quarterback's plays. That it doesn't matter. You don't know what to do with it. I, I had another role where they played Zombie Nation on kickoffs, and it it like made my blood boil. I couldn't handle. You don't use Zombie Nation on kickoffs. You use it on major major moments in the game. Yeah, it, it's so funny too. I mean, again, the, the amount of analogies to this. Like, I I think about oftentimes like we at Disney used to get called all the time of like, just show us how you guys do it. And I'm like, it makes sense for us. It doesn't make sense for you, manufacturing company. Like no. our our playbook, we can't just give you our playbook. You got to learn yes. how to use the playbook before yeah. we just give you the playbook. Yeah. Yes, you got to uh, know your crowd. You got to know, like any business, who is your target? What do they want? What do they need today? Right. Are we in a win streak? We're in a losing streak? Are they down? Are they going to fall apart at the first mistake? We got to get them. We got to have music ready to get them back up. If we're on a roll, then it's a matter of how do we keep the steamroller going? That's a different music selection for that week. That's a different yeah. green. It may not get green in a game where we're doubtful. And again, the only way you know how to do these things is by paying close attention to what being tied at the hip of what are the emotions of our customers and how do we adjust yep. accordingly? We can't just go in with a blank playbook that we made in our cubicles. Yes. And, and, and one of the things that when I went around to other schools, wherever, you know, Arizona, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas, whatever, I would go in and I'd say, how are you monitoring your crowd? I said, what do you mean? I said, well, you're hermetically sealed in a booth here. Oh, we have these speakers. Hmm. No, the speakers don't tell you anything. And you need the windows open because you have to know how cold they are, how hot they are, how uncomfortable they are. You need to know where your crowd is and you need to stick your trunk outside there and listen to see if your music is paying off as opposed to pat yourselves on the chest with your Maybe the students do, but if nobody else is doing it, then I, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, that Windows coming out was always a big deal because that's a huge deal. In fact, it was to the degree once when I got to Arizona, it was late when I got out there. It was in season and they couldn't get the windows out. So it's easy. Put us down on the top of the last section on a, on a, on a banquet table and give me lines communications to everybody so we were down there and like ladies were offering popcorn we'd hit something that'd say oh we like that song and say okay we have a straw boat and I, I mean this is i love this because it's like you were willing to get uncomfortable 
to go understand what the customers are thinking. And I think so many administrators and senior leaders in organizations don't spend time on the front lines experiencing yeah. and feeling what the customers yeah. are feeling. They're making decisions based on information that they're getting on a spreadsheet or in an email, yeah. and they're not feeling it for themselves. And you it's have harder, to. It's harder to do. I mean, my background is, is uh, I have training and nothing they ever did. You know, so I didn't, I have education and nothing ever did. So I've just always been a, okay, if your life was on the line, what would you do here? And if, if you think through it, it's there, you know, it's very obvious. Uh, yeah. it, you just have to put yourself into win lose. Well, are there, are there any other stories before we move on from the whiteout that like have never seen the light of day that you're like, I've always wanted to tell this story or I've only told this at a closed dinner table kind of thing. Uh, no, other than uh, the euphoria of when they, they came down from the top of the press box and said, everybody's in white. Yeah. I can't, ima I can't imagine what that, I mean, seeing it, seeing it firsthand, I thought it was incredible. I can't imagine having been there the first yeah. time, not knowing how it was going to turn out. Had to have been insane. It, it was just such a, it, it was so, I don't know. I mean, I didn't want to, I, I told him I didn't want to know unless it was good because I had to, I'm producing, I can't go into that. Like, I don't want to know in advance it's bad. Yeah. So it was, it, they said almost 100%. Cool. Well, Katie, Katie, anything else before we move topics here? Nah, I think we move on and cool. carry it into the next round. All right. So I think for me, as we move into the next round, it's really about larger industry things, right? And that I think across the country, we see attendance numbers falling. A whiteout at Penn State is obviously always the most packed game of the season. But even at Penn State, at a 100,000-seat stadium, depending on the time of year and the opponent, that stadium might only be half full. And we're seeing that across the board, not just at really massive stadiums. Um, Talk to us about what you're seeing across the industry and why you think it's really important and what the sense of urgency might be around those things. Uh, Dave, there are a number of elements that are intersecting at, at the same time, and it, it's really difficult for college football. First of all, we're overbuilt. We, the stadiums are too large. We'd never build them this big again. Pro football learned that the hard way. They could, it, you know, even Jerry Jones' ego could not get him above, you know, whether it be sixty-eight thousand because it, it, everyone knows better now. It's just, you know, the price of a Samsung, as big as it is, is an entertainment center for you and your friend. You can watch three games in the time it takes you to traverse to the to the stadium, go through traffic, sit through everything and get yourself back. So this length of the game, it's uncomfortable seats. It's horrible ingress and egress. Most stadiums are built clunked down in the middle of a campus. Do you want to go to Auburn or Alabama and try to get out of there? Good luck. I never took a parking pass at Alabama because I wanted to park. I'll walk it. Thank you. Because I'm not sitting there for an hour and a half. It, it, you know, you either got a tailgate after. So the, the, the obstacles, parking seats are mostly benches. They're not even seats. They're built for smaller people. Uh, like the Yale Bowl was built for people when we were tinier. So you get, you know, facilities are not 
what you'd want them to be. Concessions certainly are, own, you know, don't meet standards. Uh, and it's just, it doesn't work. So what a lot of places are going to, uh, a lot of places are doing pour overs. In fact, they're taking an end zone where there were 30 rows and 25 wide. They're pouring over that like bathfitters, if you will. And they're reducing that to 18 rows and 15 wide. And now you have seats with arms. You got plugins for phones to power up. It, they're going to have to do it. Everyone, I don't, I can't remember the last time somebody increased. I think UCF. I think UCF might have been the most recent one. Um, yeah, they built a stadium, but they have they were coming from nothing. Correct, correct, and yeah, and then they, they moved into they yeah. went from folding chairs to a stadium. So the, the, I mean, the in, the interesting one will be, I think, our friends across the street over at UC at Cincinnati, where they I think they have one of the most. I think they've got an incredible stadium. The fact that it's like in the middle of campus, you can walk through it, but it's only thirty five thousand. Now they're going to be in the Big Twelve. And and if I'm them, I'm saying you just went through a renovation. Keep keep the thirty five and just price it up. Yeah. Like yeah. that's that's my take on it. Yeah, I'm curious I, your I, thoughts. I, yeah, yeah, and it's but because of the, the parking and the and the experience, the fan experiences, you're gonna you're gonna dwindle, and you may get one or two games when you're hot, but you have to plan on. Not all teams are up. They they go up and down, and coaching may change and whatever. And so you have to plan for what is the norm, like any business. And, and do we have enough parking? Do we have enough tailgating? Like some, you know, some places, you know, they're they don't protect their tailgating well. They build other facilities nearby, and okay. So we, we've we've got attendance dropping, right? I, I think people are starting to realize that the attendance is dropping, so they're making infrastructure changes like we're talking about. But outside of infrastructure changes, I mean, one, what can schools do? And again, why is why does it matter that attendance is dropping? I, I mean, with some of these TV contracts that are that are coming in, they're making their money up on those things. But why does what's the sense of urgency? Well, they're uh, so. If you look at the structure, the economic structure, so the conferences all give out equal amounts to the teams. The differential is your stadium route. It's kind of like the Yankees and the Indians get the same money from the league, but the Yankees TV contract for local broadcasting is nine times that of Cleveland because of market size. So part of that is you have a hundred thousand seat stadium or AIDS, you've got used people used to coming. You better keep working it so that they continue to come. Your your perimeter better be built out. The fun ought to be near. Try to ease things each year. Put your money in the concession, put your money into other things, bathroom renovation, whatever. Um, because that's a rev source you don't want to give up. That's a differential between the others yeah and that's part of what what they want to do um but like i said a lot of the stadiums are old they're a smack dab in the middle of, of campus it's that you know how many places have you been where you see like 
there's a cemetery on the south end zone. Like, oh, yeah. all right, we're not going it, any further that way. It, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely interesting because I do think in the past, I mean, Penn State being a primary example of it too, right? Where uh, the focus and the skill sets in the department around marketing and the ability to do some of those things, then the need has become far greater than what I think a lot of the the programs have adjusted to, because I think there are just so many now pain points in this experience, right? We talked about parking, um, but it's even like fan fest. If I'm coming to a game for the first time, what does that look like for me? How yes. am I being targeted? Yes. Is it for me? Is it not? Um, yes. Concessions is a pain point. There's so many pain points that need to be improved upon for somebody to say, I'm going to spend 48 hours invested in this. Yeah, and, and a lot of money. Because right. if you're, and, and remember what's working against this also. TV rolls the day. So they determine game time and they don't determine that two weeks before unless it's a marquee game. So if you're a family of four, you don't know whether you need to get a room Friday night because it's a near game or whether, so what the hotel say, we'll make it easy. We're going to charge you for two nights no matter what. Yeah, <laughs> at a jacked up rate. So it, it's it's really difficult for uh, there better be something like in Penn State's case, tailgating has been cult like, right? Because when they moved the stadium from the middle of campus, they moved it to the very outskirts. It's no longer the outskirts. It's they, the campus has come up to meet them, but the the fields and the areas are sprawling hills and valleys filled in with tailgaters. They have that, but they have to watch that. Even that is being impacted by ag school needs another farm for this, and this school needs this, and that that soccer team needs this. And so next time you know, you're, sh you're shrinking that down and you can't get it back. Yeah. And Katie, it's you hard. recently... Katie, you recently sent me that hustle article about just like the American middle class family being completely priced out of entertainment options. I don't know if there's any points there that you want to bring up and, and ask Guido on. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest takeaway from that article was the fact that, you know, parking used to be an add on. You know, you bought your tickets and we'll give you a parking pass, whereas now that is looked at as an additional revenue driver. Yep. But it's not providing really any value to the customer. Like, yes, there is a convenience factor, but when you're going from $20 to $50, it's yep. still the same slab in the parking lot. There's no value being added. How could more value be added to that parking space so that fans are okay with that increase in pricing? Well, I don't, I don't know, but the bigger you are and the more you win, the more you can just do what you want. That's really what the rule of thumb is. It, it's, but is, it's, is that it's is that going to last though? I mean, no, maybe that's what that's what that's what some people are doing. It, <laughs> there's a lot of aspects in it. Uh, for example, some schools, their parking is belongs to football, and the money goes to athletics. Some schools, the parking goes to the university, and they have to buy those parking places. So, there's no flexibility in there. Right. Like if you park on Blacktop at Penn State, that money goes to university because it's Blacktop. You park in the grass fields or in the shell or up over the hill or over by the pig farm or whatever, then you're good. That money goes to athletics. It, it's really, uh, it's again, not set up for business. Remember that 
a college athletic team with the impact of a football team, a revenue-generating sport, is that enterprise plumped down in the middle of academia. Yep. That makes it very, very hard to turn that ship. That makes it... No question. It, it's, it's really, really hard. Universities, universities are just coming around understanding the value of that front porch. And they're just getting in touch with themselves about their, the reality of student athletes. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we could do we could do a whole another podcast. Whole, on that so what happens is it's just it's that's just you know it's really hard for ads and marketing people to navigate all that. That's not a normal business op. We're just parking, and how do we fix parking? That's if it were just that they'd fix it. Yeah. So, no where do you see opportunities to fix and carry some of that in-game experience to outside of yeah. the stadium? Because, yes. you know, I think particularly for, you know, we talked about the cult-like tailgate culture at Penn State. If I am a brand new fan coming to Penn State for the first time, mm. I don't understand. Like, I maybe I don't have the grill. I don't have the full tailgate set up. So how do I get ingrained into that cult so that I want to come back. What what are some of the opportunities that schools should have to be able to get the people that are not in the cults on board? Your perimeter, <clears throat> the perimeter has to be something that happens. Look, parking, for example, to wrap up the parking, it's miserable no matter where you go. I don't care if you're going to the opera. It's like not fair. It's overpriced. The lines are long. I'm in line up. It's just something, it's the, it's the dastardly thing you got to do to get there. But once you get there, can we give them something? And there's where perimeter comes in. Like uh, when, when Drew Martin went to Texas and, and, and CDC came in there, it was like all of a sudden the, the Texas perimeter went from next to nothing to an entire game day experience in and of itself with the parade, with FIBO going down the street, the whole nine. So that's an element that makes it worthwhile to get in there that makes it like this is fun and i want to break my kid here on this thing so it, it it like Rutgers, for example we're building a fan base and they're just starting to find their strength and so what we did is we took the main street that comes down uh where the team comes down on the bus it's maybe a quarter mile leads straight into the stadium straight shot down called scarlet nightway and we turned it into a boardwalk on game day so it is everything you would expect on a New Jersey Shore boardwalk. It is all kinds of foods, food trucks, 11 food trucks, vendors walking up and down the street selling things, guys on stilts, games for kids, win a, win a doll, win this, shooter games. It, it is exactly that. So when people get there now, for hours before the game, there's really a lot of fun that happens that leads into a parade, oh, by the way, that comes down through there. that that culminates with the, the buses coming through to see their heroes. So that's what you got to look at. What was an empty street kind of blocked off and they ran buses up and forth. It's now something worth getting out of bed for. Yeah. Now who's and, and attending that? Like, is that yeah. the, is that your 30 year season ticket holders or is that, that's the new fans and who is attending that? Block was, party? We, the, the, the first one we had was, was two weeks ago. Uh, the second one will be Saturday and 
it was a mixed bag. It was students. It was old timers. It was everybody imaginable. Just hanging out. We put 20 picnic tables with umbrellas and they sat over on the side with, we're going to have benches next time. Like you'd have on a boardwalk. There was every food imaginable. There was the travel truck where they could take a photo opportunity and there was face painting and all the things you can match. So again, that's not like an end all be all. I thought we did a really great job with it. And PJ was just a hero putting it together. Uh, but must do things like that. That's what you yeah. must do that. No question. Yeah. Um, well, let's, I, I kind of want to, we got a few more minutes here, but one of the things I heard you say, you talked about both. We had young people, we had old people at that. Yeah. Oftentimes I think we hear in college athletics and, and a bunch of different industries, right? Of We have an aging customer base or an aging fan base. So what are the biggest opportunities that you see for athletic departments to kind of re-engage that young alumni or that young professional audience to bolster up the fan base and make sure we have one in 10 years, 15 years? Yeah. First, your game experience, your game day experience has to be something that they would want to come back for, right? That starts. And then the perimeter is also an element of that. So it's the whole package. Do I want to come back for that? Is that a place that we're going to go to rally around and revisit? So some places are already there. Some are just building themselves into that experience. So that, that's a key element of that. The student situation has to be constantly remined because they're new. So you need to get to your student base as they're coming in the door. You need to be part of orientation. You need to do those kinds of things. And and it's a lot of grassroots stuff, and it's a lot of legwork, and it's a lot of work. It really, it, you got to spend but some money. I, I love what you just said, though, because I do think this mistake gets made oftentimes. You got to start with the current experience and make sure that's good before yeah. you go try to get a bunch of new fans. We yeah. we worked on a project a number of years ago where it was focused on how do we get people to the games? And what we looked at over the course of the year is we got a ton of new people to the games, yes. but they came for one game. Yes. And they didn't come back again because the, yes. once they got there, the experience was not worth yes. them coming again. Yes. And that's where people need to be starting as opposed to trying to get a new bunch of new fans. Yes. If not, you're strictly restricted to wins and losses to determine your fate. Like, yeah, it, it you know, Rutgers is in a, in a build, right? So just as an example, so they're, they're in a, in, in a, in a building thing and great. Uh, Shannon's got that moving, but they feel like they're part of what's happening. We help them feel that they're part of what's happening. So what happens is they go to BC for the first game. There's 5,000 Rutgers people there. At Temple last week, there were, Probably more people at the Temple game in Rutgers Scarlet than there were in, in Temple Cherry. Uh, so they're starting to feel themselves like they have a force, you know. And, and, and Saturday night they come in there and it's Iowa under the lights. And hopefully we play well enough that they feel like they got something done. And that's how you build it. Then you want to come back. You want to come back. I love it. Well, last couple of minutes here. I, no, no, no. That made total sense. Um, okay. well, last question here, though, for you. Um, what, what, I guess, piece of advice would you give to senior leaders or administrators or, or something we haven't covered yet that you really feel like is on your heart that you want to share with leaders that are kind of going through this type of change management that's all about the customer? Um, what would you share with our audience? I think you just have to be honest with yourself and look at every aspect. It, it, look, 
most businesses have people that shop them, right? So they go around and they experience the experience, right? And then they give them a grade. That's unknown in college football. Why not? Like, why not hire a firm? Why not get 12 people you know, friends and family, whatever, and shop it? You know, that, that's the kind of mindset you must get in order to understand where your customer is and what they're doing. And then all the other stuff, you, you know, and you got to bombard them with social media. You got to include them in things that you do. You can't, you can't have a highlight video with just plays. I must see myself in that as a customer. Beautiful. Katie, any, anything else for Guido before we head out? I think one of my favorite lessons that I ever learned from Guido is, you know, uh -oh, college this, athletics. This could be, be bad, David. <laughs> this could be real bad. I mean, college athletics has been so easy with the pomp and circumstance, and you've got a band, and you've got cheerleaders. And, you know, like, I went to a Major League Baseball game this weekend, and it was dead. And there are so many aspects of college athletics that make it so easy to make game day so much better. But one of my favorite things I ever learned from you was the 20 minutes before kickoff is sacred. And the tradition that you that has been built of what the 20 minutes leading into kickoff is. I'm one of those fans that I can be in my seat 40 minutes before because I don't want to miss it whenever I go back home to Penn State. So that is one of the best things that you Thank instilled you. there. And it's something that I carried with me through my career. So that yep. was my biggest lesson that I learned. Called the ramp. Exactly. Ramp, ramp it up to the kickoff. There's no there, there's no coin toss PA read thrown in there. There's no this. Today's kick has been sponsored by this. It was, this is sacred. This is about the team. This is going to hype you up for the rest of the day. It's about your experience. It's about your experience. You did not come there. I'm sure you didn't sit in line in traffic and walk up the stands uncomfortably <laughs> and crawl into your seat to see the coin toss. <laughs> I'm almost positive. <laughs> so. It. What it's can true. we do in there? Can we sing? Can we see a video? What can we do? You're going to see it with your eyes if you want to look. It's that yeah. important to you. We're not taking it away from you. They, they certainly didn't come for a sponsor announcement. So, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> or seeing people wave or exactly. that kind of stuff. Well, Guido, where can people follow you, uh, follow along your journey, reach out with any questions? Where can people get a, get a hold of you if you oh, want them to? Uh... Feel free to be like just... Just, uh, I don't know. Yourself, myself promoting here. I really, yeah, I you are. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm like a one client guy. I'm like Tom Hagen and the Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm with Rutgers. I got to stay there. I don't think I'm going to take on anything else, but, um, um, you put, you putting your thoughts out to the world on Twitter or anything like that? Uh, very little. All right. Well, guys, if someone maybe... asked me like you guys, I, I'll offer up what I know, but I don't, I don't like feel like I know that much to be shoving it out there. People follow me. We must be really it. special, David, if he's going to come on and give us a whole hour then. So if you want to hear more Guido, just put this thing on repeat. You'll boost yeah, our numbers too. That's it. That's right. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Call email Katie. She'll get to me. Guido, we are honored that. I'm officially uh, Guido's new admin. Reach there out to me. Go. I'll get in touch with you. I love it. Yeah. Guido, once again, thanks so much for coming on, man. Hey, this was this fun. Is, this is great. Thanks. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it. Katie, thanks a lot. We'll see y'all soon. Great. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. Before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles.
But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, we're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer-centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.